We live in a world of tensions where different realities, philosophies, cultures, and politics pull humanity in different directions. I want to ask you the question, which tensions matter? My first question to you today, is the world in need of a savior? Is the world in need of a savior? John 3.16, a verse we know well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here in this verse is a tension, a tension between God's heart, his desire, and the world, which is a mess. He loves the world, but the world is full of sin. What is his solution to send his only son? Again, another tension that he didn't come to bring condemnation, but rather that through him we might be saved. This is a tension that matters. Second question, if, yes, if we need a savior, what is different about Jesus' salvation compared to any other kind of salvation? John 1, 14, and then 16 and 17 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, an important tension right here that grace is held dynamically with truth. We seem to have fallen as a church into a uh, misunderstanding that you either have grace or you have truth, but they can't coincide. And yet Jesus shows us this important tension that in one person, the God-man, another tension there if you want to spend more time thinking through that in another context, but grace and truth manifested in one person. And if you're here today because of the topic, we're going to be looking at tolerance in just a moment, and you're trying to figure out what your position is, I want to ask you some questions, particularly if you would classify yourself as a millennial, because we have grown up in this context of tolerance. Now, this message today, the intolerance of tolerance, sits in the beginning of a new series, known, uh, which we're calling the irrelevance of relevance. Let me give you a little bit of background. In the postmodern era, the church has become more and more confused and is still working on its status in something that is really reaching epic proportions. Who are we as the church? When we think of ourselves in the context of a post-Christian, post-truth society, how do we define ourselves, particularly when much of this reaction of post-Christian and post-truth is against decades or even centuries of what people would consider to be religious intolerance? At the center of the world's journey and towards understanding who they are, there are two questions. They are identity questions. Who am I as an individual? Everyone in the world is asking themselves that. And the way that we're answering that in our modern culture is we're are free to be whoever we want to be. That's known as expressive individualism. And the second question, who are we as a community? What is our nature? What is our identity as a community, as the West or as the UK or as the States or wherever you might be from? How do we define ourselves? Now, this issue of identity becomes a problem when you start to bring individuals together that have different beliefs or communities together that have different beliefs. 
And the question that everyone is asking is, will you let me be me? Will you celebrate me for who I am? How we respond to the other, the person that is different to us, is a question of human responsibility versus human rights. And for us as Christians, we have to get real good at asking, answering and asking the question, how do we express our freedom and our dignity in this context? So I mentioned earlier that the church is uh, also questioning its own identity, and this is where relevance begins to come in. In an effort to engage, the church has considered relevance as its solution to engaging people on the question of identity. They have tried to make themselves as much like the world in order to be able to reach the world. Now, part of that is because of the church's own uh, misgivings about its history. Christianity needs to be understood as the founding context for the original concept of tolerance. We now find ourselves battling a modified version of tolerance. But because of the history of intolerance, abuse, and cruelty that has shadowed some contexts of the church, because of man-made traditions, manipulation and control, and violations of sanctity of, human uh, of humanity, there has been difficulties in the church coming out strong, saying this is who we are. Unfortunately, those are tares. We know the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares, that which is worth something and that which is just a weed. So these things, the accusations and history of man-made tradition, abuse and control, violations of sanctity of humanity, are tares that sit alongside the wonderful wheat of the freedom of the gospel, human responsibility, and learning to love each other, which have also shaped our culture. So my question, I suppose, for this message is, should we be trying to be relevant? Should we as a church be trying to connect? Should we be trying to speak the language of the people? Or in trying to speak the language of the people, do we simply become one more channel for noise? We've got YouTube, we've got Vimeo, we've got TV, we've got Prime, you've got Netflix, and then you've got the church, just noising us all the time. Is that who we are supposed to be? Uh, are we to be a people that show the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? And the church is struggling to come to an answer. Either there's the overemphasis on love, compromising righteousness, i.e. we want to, as the church, love people for who they are, or we choose righteousness over love. And unfortunately, typically churches that try to uphold a standard of righteousness uphold the wrong things. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, and I don't gamble, therefore I'm a good Christian. They forget about the jealousy, the bitterness, the anger of heart, the sin against the living God that is really the central issue. And so either we overemphasize love or we overemphasize the wrong kinds of rules. And be careful of overemphasizing the wrong kinds of rules. We would love to see everyone walking in righteousness, but typically what happens is people start to set the rules out is they end up in cultish contexts. We don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do the other. Need to be careful. Now, there are some areas where the church needed to get relevant. I mean, how many of you love worship today? Amen. Because it's real good to have bands and talented musicians and great singers in the house of God. Amen? You know, some churches, they still just have the organist, maybe even one acoustic guitar. We needed updating there. 
We needed updating in the area of women in ministry. Women have so many different gifts to bring in the context of leadership and ministry. These things needed to be changed. But there are some areas where uh, we struggle. For example, the areas of strength or weakness in our flesh. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would go to a pub? My hand's up, so you can be honest, right? So most of you wouldn't. Now, let me modify the question. How many of you would go to the pub to reach the lost? There should be more of you sticking your hands up for that. That's a, that's a great question. But you see, sometimes we, 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 we wrestle with, should we be in the pub or not? Particularly if you have a big drinking background, it might not be the wisest thing for you to sit in that context where there's loads of temptation. But it is not sin, let me be clear with you, it is not sin to go to a pub. It is not sin to have alcohol while remaining under control of yourself. And it certainly is not sin to go and sit in a pub so that you can reach the lust. Certainly not sin. Actually, most of us should go into a pub for that reason because we got no non-Christian friends around us. But if any of you get drunk, I didn't tell you to get drunk, okay? <laughs> so there are some issues that we're struggling with like that, but then other issues where we are struggling with how do we identify what is and isn't sin? How do we help people move forward? And in some church contexts, in order to show love for the individual, we have accepted sin. Partially because of our own struggle with sin. I'm sinning, you're sinning. How can I call you to account when I'm struggling? Same, same things you're struggling with. And after all, sin does feel good, doesn't it? So can we not do stuff that makes us feel good while also trying to love each other, which makes us feel good? And so there has been a culture that has crept in of compromise, conformity, even sacrifice of what we believe. And in some churches, it's got to the point where you don't even talk about sin won't even raise the issue of sin. Now, if you don't have sin, you don't need a savior. Remember, I asked you the question at the beginning, does the world need a savior? Amen. And it's great. I mean, this is an amazing story, I think. You know, Justin Bieber is a serious Christian. That's one of the great examples of what happens when you cross lines that the church would be previously limited in to reach someone that was fully immersed in their world. He's now a fervent Christian. You wouldn't say that he's the pinnacle Christian or the example Christian. He's wrestling like all of us. But that's a great example of what happens when someone crosses the line and calls someone to righteousness. But there are many other examples of people saying they're Christians and not at all trying to live for God. This might interest you. I thought it was quite funny in a silly church kind of a way. The Southern Baptists did an analysis of the churches in their movement that were trying to be more relevant in their communication through changing the preaching style, making sure the preacher dressed like the people around them and all that kind of stuff. The more that they increased relevance, guess what happened? The less that they baptized people. Now, for the Baptists, that's a pretty big deal. If you're baptizing less people, you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you may have heard of seeker-friendly churches, services which are open to people of any background of faith to come in here. You know, those churches that founded themselves in the seeker-friendly context are now abandoning that methodology altogether because it's not producing real followers of Jesus. So we have this issue uh, of figuring out who we are and then there is a second aspect of our church engagement that's a problem. We have embraced sin in the area of relevance 
and I say this with all respect, but hopefully I uh, challenge your hearts enough to want to leave it behind, we're sinning in this way by trying to be relevant to the people around us. We want them to, we want to win them to us before we win them to Jesus. Our call is to win people to Christ, not to win them to, hey, I'm the cool dude, I'm a great lady. I can relate to you on fashion and media and sports and what's going on in the papers, what's going on in the magazine. I can relate to you on all of these things. Oh, by the way, I follow Jesus. No, from the very moment that they come in contact with you, it should be clear, maybe you don't want to drop it in the first conversation, but it should be clear that your agenda is following Jesus. And you would love for them to be introduced to Christ through your life and ministry, but your priority is for you to follow Christ and introduce them along the way. And I say that to you because we need to be careful. We care what people think, don't we? That's part of why we've got caught in this mess. We, we like people to like us. But Jesus said something difficult in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What this is saying is, if you really want to love Jesus, you've got to be okay with the fact that people might hate you. And unfortunately, and this is a reality of our lives, people are fickle. They might love you one minute. They might be telling you how great you are the one minute. The very next second, they're telling you how terrible you are and how much they hate you. We can't live according to people. We can only live according to God's view of us. And hopefully, as we stay integrity towards that view, people will begin to recognize they want what we have in a meaningful way. So my encouragement to you as we now look into this area of tolerance is to embrace your saltiness. Embrace the light that Jesus has put in you. So this issue of tolerance, uh, I wanna just highlight some key things for us. We recognize in a room like this, this is indicative of the world, there are people that have different races. How many of you are different race? All of us. We've got different beliefs and faiths. Well, hopefully we've got the unifying faith of following Jesus Christ. Different genders, different sexualities, different status, different rights, which might be different from your own. And the idea of tolerance is, in its original application, was to recognize that there is a variety. Rec recognize that God has created us incredibly diverse. But tolerance has moved beyond that now. Tolerance has become more explicit. You have a right to your own, I have a right to my own, but I am not allowed to try to impose my view upon you if my view is different. Now, there are some good reasons for this because uh, people do, intolerant people do take advantage of other people. But ultimately, this is fundamentally going to be used to, uh, to muzzle the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment we start to uphold the need for a savior, does the world need a savior? The moment that we uphold that truth, we are liable soon, to be a people that are condemned for bigotry. Now, this is difficult because we're wrestling with what it means to make a difference with people around us. And if you say something like, I am a Christian, you are automatically classified as a bigot in most people's minds. And the strategy, strategy that people will use is to say, because you're a Christian, you're intolerant. In order to introduce a new intolerance, a different way of life. 
So much so that the word sin has become, in public spaces, an intolerant word. Now, some of our representatives who say they're Christians, unfortunately, have done much more damage to the gospel through their lack of wisdom than they should have done and make it difficult for us. But the reality is that culture, society is moving in this direction. And it used to be that the lobby groups would stand up and say, hey, you can't say that, that's intolerant. Now, the media have started to follow the lobby groups and they do their speaking for them. Some of the lobby groups don't even need to open their mouths anymore. The media says, hey, that's intolerant. So we have a challenge all around us because we don't want to be seen as intolerant in certain areas. For example, we believe that people should be loved. Amen? But what about their lifestyle choices? Does our love for them mean we have to embrace their lifestyle choices? Does our love for them mean we need to forget about the living God who has a dear love for them? Do we really believe that I believe what I believe and you believe what you believe and all roads are going to lead to God? These are some challenges that are problems in the way that the world is talking right now. Now, let me be clear before I say any more that tolerance has forced society in good directions. It's encouraged people to be more considerate of others, of their different races, their different religions, their different gender, their different experiences in life. They've been encouraged to think bigger than perhaps a stream that they grew up in. They've learned how to, we've had to learn how to communicate better with different people around us and grow in identification, growth, compassion, even understanding. So tolerance can be good, but there is a problem with tolerance. And if you know what a paradox is, when you can't solve a problem because it doesn't make sense, think about this one. In order for tolerance to be truly unlimited, society must become intolerant of intolerance. So for us to realize this vision of tolerance for all, somebody's got to be intolerant. And this is really understood as society being intolerant. So say it a different way. Intolerant people will always win over the tolerant. If you're tolerant, you, well, you go about your business the way you want to go about your business. I'll go about my business the way I want to go about my business. But the intolerant person says, I don't care about your mess. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how you're going to do it. You don't like that? Well, this is how you're going to do it. Oh, but I don't like that. This is how you're going to do it. The intolerant group is always going to win. And so tolerance as a reality is never, ever going to exist, except that if society becomes intolerant. Now, what rules does it become intolerant in? And that's the problem. It used to be that our society was intolerant on the basis of Judeo-Christian principles. Now it is flipping entirely in the opposite direction. Now, in the same way that there is a paradox of tolerance, there is also a paradox of pluralism, or when you have different religions. Can you say that all roads lead to God if one religion teaches God is one, and if another religion teaches that God is three in one, or another religion teaches that there are millions of gods, can they all be the same? If one teaches that you're going to die and go to heaven, one teaches you're going to die and go to hell, one teaches that you're going to die and disappear, can they all be right? If one teaches that you're here to pass on your DNA, 
Another teaches that you're here to keep the law. Another teaches that you're here to reveal the glory of God. Are they all the same? No. So this idea that all religions lead to God is false. Again, a paradox of pluralism. So is tolerance going to get us anywhere? No, because it defeats itself and it doesn't provide a context for truth. But let's get a bit down more to practicalities. It was always dangerous to give me this title. Always dangerous, because I love thinking about these things. But let me ask you a question. This is a serious question. How many of you want to be seen as tolerant? Please don't put your hand up. Because tolerance cannot compete with what we are called to. We are called as Christians to radical love. Radical love is much greater than tolerance. Let me frame it like this. How many of you like to be tolerated? It's like when you turn up at the party and there's that drunk, drunk uncle or drunk aunt that always gets wasted and goes off on one about the, the war or the husband that left them or the, whatever it might be. They're always off on it and you're just like, they're on it again. Let's tolerate them. No one wants to be tolerated. No one enjoys being tolerated. No one celebrates being tolerated. That's a low estimation of who we are as human beings. Yet that's all you can legislate in law. You can't make people love one another. But we are called to love one another because what Jesus has done in our heart. Back to the question, is the world in need of a saviour? Maybe even the church is in need of a saviour. This brings us back to the radical nature of the gospel. We are called to demonstrate God's love for one another. We love others. We love others because of our common humanity. We are all made in the image of God. And our perfect example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to love us for who we represent, to love one another for who we are called to imitate. And remember this, that humanity flourishes in the context of unconditional love. We become who we are called to be in this context. Whereas in a context of tolerance, people take one aspect of their humanity and try to define themselves by it and make you love them for it. You must love me for my sexuality. You must love me for my dress sense. You must love me for my race. You must love me for my gender. Is it true? if you are homosexual, that that is your definition? You as a whole person are homosexual? No, your sexuality, you have a tendency in that, in that area, but not your whole person. If you are African, is it true that that defines all of your reality? No. It is certainly a huge part, but it's not all. When we start to talk in terms of who God calls us to be, we celebrate who God has made us to be in totality. For me, I get to celebrate being mixed race, Chinese and English, never emphasizing one over the other. Except recently, I keep saying this, I found out that I'm not really English. I'm three-eighths Irish and an eighth Scottish, so. <laughs> <clears throat> but more than that, we are more than the sum of all that we are made up of. We are sons and daughters of God. And so in that context, that's why we're called to love one another. So I have three questions for you to wrap up before I give three application points. We need to become deeply intolerant in our answers to these questions. Deeply intolerant. He is a loving father. What are you doing about radical, sacrificial demonstration of love? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How are we imitating that? Now that we are in Christ, following Jesus, called to reveal God's love, in fact, Jesus said it like this, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. The, the theme, get it? Love one another. We need to become radically intolerant of anything that would excuse us from loving the other. Anything that would stop me from radically loving a person in front of me, starting with the closest people to you and then extending out to the strangers, anything that limits that, we need to, as Christians, become radically intolerant. So, for example, what would you say to someone who's had a relapse into drug dependency? Jesus, don't love you no more. No, you'd say Jesus still loves you. And because Jesus still loves you, I still love you. And I'm going to fight to keep loving you. It's going to be difficult because I don't really want to walk the journey with you of going all the way down the rabbit hole again, but I still love you. And I'm going to ask for his strength to keep loving you because I want to be radically intolerant to that which would stop me from loving you. Second question. Here's a holy God. What are you doing about righteousness? These two things now come together. Grace, love, and truth. We can't excuse sin. We can't join the world in saying that sin is okay because sin is bringing people into brokenness all over the world. And if we really believe that sin is not a problem, we don't need a savior, but we also don't have an answer to some of the problems that people are facing. Now, what would you say if your brother or sister, because both are bound up in this, what if you, would you say if they told you in confidence, I'm wrestling with sexual sin, I'm watching pornography or I've been sleeping around, what would you say? Oh, don't worry about it. I am too. We'll pray for each other. <laughs> See, the risks that we need to watch out for, we can't start to compromise our pursuit of righteousness because of the reality of the world. Here we need to lean on Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and revealed the full grace and truth of the Father. What does grace and truth do about sin? It recognizes that sin is brokenness, but grace shows us the way to wholeness through Christ Jesus. Best answer to the problem of sin is Jesus Christ. Come that you might find life and find it in abundance and find freedom from sin. He's come to set you free from that which controls you, not set you free to carry on in that which controls you. We need to become radically intolerant of anything that seeks to justify our sin because it keeps us in slavery. Rather, we're called to pursue his deliverance, his freedom, and his righteousness. Question three. There is a lost and broken world. What are you doing to introduce them to their saviour? We as a community are called to reveal Jesus through the way that we love one another and then serve the people out there in the world. We are aware of our own brokenness and therefore we don't walk in judgment of others. We are aware that we are not always good but fully point towards his goodness. We are aware that we are reaching forward in faith to a world in which we know the goodness of God here in our lives today, even when it looks difficult right now. We need to become radically intolerant of everything that stops us from celebrating God's love for his creation the different races in the room, the different genders in the room, the different sexualities in the room. God is calling us to become a people that experience his love and let his love transform us. Let his love shape us. 
Let his love grow us. Let his love bring us into the place of fullness as we radically pursue Jesus. Application. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are called to be the next, the most advanced in the area of counterculture living. We are called to be the people that live in the space where we're calling people to the ultimate way of life, following God. So in that, what does it look like for you to be countercultural? Well, if you're still sitting on the fence with baptism, if you're still one foot in the world, one foot in the church, if you're still trying to keep your boyfriend, girlfriend that you're living with rather than honoring God, if you're still struggling in the area of integrity in business and trying to do dodgy deals on the side, need to make a decision. What does it look like for me to live like what I believe? Second application. When you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, how can I love people like Jesus today? It might be real hard the first time because you come across the devil himself or herself that day and then you leave home. Ouch. Ouch. If you find yourself saying, I can't love you, you need to come to a place of saying, no, I do choose to love you. It doesn't mean romantic love for everyone. It means sacrificial love for everyone. Challenge three. Think about your conversations. You are going to get baited every single day to step into an intolerant conversation. Oh, you're a Christian, what's your view about homosexuals? Oh, you're a Christian, what's your view about Muslims? Oh, you're a Christian, what's your view about homeless people? Oh, you're a Christian, what's your view about me? I'm living with my partner. Oh, you're a Christian. Don't get sucked into those because the only way you're going to come out of those conversations is looking intolerant. Reframe it always as quickly as possible to we're focusing on an issue here which needs to be understood in the context of God's love for you. For God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son, not to condemn you, but that so that through him you might be saved. Rehearse it. Practice it. Get good at it. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you're in the middle of a conversation and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to lose this one, just change the conversation. Let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the most intolerant person who ever lived. The one who would not tolerate you living any longer under the control of sin. The one who would not tolerate getting an easy ride for himself, but rather going all the way to the cross so that he could purchase your freedom. The one who would not tolerate sitting in heaven, divorced from a world which is broken in need of a saviour. He is intolerant to the max at the same time as reflecting fully the grace and truth of God. And when you're called to follow him, you're called to follow the one who leads us into the highest truth of living in relationship with the living God experiencing his full unconditional love while at the same time being radically transformed into the image of Christ. Three practices. Keep living countercultural. Wake up and try and love somebody today. Three, change your conversation so that you can get the truth of the gospel into the lives of those around you.